You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, good morning or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. You are here live with Dr. Call-in show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And uh, we're here for you. We're here to talk about your pets. We're here to answer questions. We're here to talk about anything you want. As a matter of fact, we'd love to hear from you just, just to call us and tell us just uh, how great your pets are, what you have. I'd like to know. I have 10. I have five and five. Some of you have been uh, on my Facebook page at Dr. Jeff Werber and read, unfortunately, about the sad fact that I had to say goodbye to three of my cats in the last uh, two months, which was really tough. So I'm down to 10 animals. I know that's for many my, might be kind of crazy, but, but I like 13 a lot more. I want to hear what you have. We're here to talk about pets. I always have an agenda. I'm always talking about something because I know so many of you are afraid to call in. It's so easy. 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Just pick up the phone, give us a call, and we can talk about your pets. Also, you can easily just log on to Pet Life Radio. Click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. And join in on the conversation. When you get to that page, you'll see a nice box, and it says join the conversation. We'd love to uh, have you join in. And lastly, you can just send me a quick email to drjeff, that's Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and our wonderful producer, Mark, will send that email directly to me live on air, and we can talk about whatever question you want to talk about. Or it doesn't have to be a question. It could just be a comment. It could be something about your pets, because you know why we're here? We're here because we love our animals. So... I'm sitting here at 9 a.m. in Southern California, beautiful Southern California, uh, talking to Mark, our producer, who's based in South Florida. I know it's gorgeous there. I hope wherever you're listening, it's beautiful. I know that they're expecting some more not-so-great weather in the Northeast, so um, we could talk about that, too, pets and cold weather. That's a great topic. And, um, of course, we're here because uh, with the help of our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, these are over-the-counter products available to the masses, but basically veterinary quality. So if having pets is a little difficult to you for you financially, go into a Walmart, go into a Target, buy some ProSense. And of course, Kong. Kong are great toys. In fact, anyone who sends us an email, anyone who calls in live on air or an email that we read on air, we will send you out a free ProSense and Kong toy. And they're sitting here. I have them here, guys. They're waiting to go out. We need you to call in. We need you to join in the conversation. We just need you to talk with us. Anyway, before you know, we were uh, at a couple of conferences, I'm, I got another one coming up actually next week, right after my show. Next Sunday, I'm leaving for Las Vegas for the Western Veterinary Conference, which is a biggie, the, where we just got back from Orlando, and which is the North American Veterinary Conference and the Western Veterinary Conference, probably the largest veterinary conference on the planet. We're talking, you know, all said and done between the veterinarians, the families, the exhibitors, the faculty. I mean, we're looking over 16,000, almost 17,000 people, which for the veterinary industry is, is that's, that's quite a lot. You know, we're not huge. I mean, certainly it's no CES computer electronic show. It's no GDC, the Game Developers Conference, but for a professional conference, it's a good size. So uh, heading to WVC, Western Veterinary Conference, and I'm looking forward to it. It's a great way. We know there's so much to learn. And what's so amazing to me is, and and we've talked about this before, that when it comes to medicine, it is believed that every five years, half, half of what we knew to be as gospel becomes obsolete. So when you think about 
when you're out of school for quite a while, as I have been over 30 years, what happens is, I mean, I look at old textbooks and I kind of glance at them today. It's like, oh my God, that drug isn't even in existence anymore. And, and here we are. That was, that was the drug. We got a culture back last week on a, uh, a dog who had like, a, it's like a MRSA. It's a methicillin-resistant staph infection. And one of the medications that was on the list that we could use is something that, I mean, I haven't used in 10 years. And yet it's, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why it was effective because it hasn't been in use that the particular organisms have not had a chance to build the resistance to it and it was still effective. So there I was, I had to go order a, a medication to have in the hospital that God, I haven't seen in a long time. So it's pretty cool. And that's why it's great to go to these conferences. We call it CE, Continue Education, obviously required by our various states. But it's good because it's a great way to share ideas. I always joke, you know, the best way to learn new things is to hire a young associate because what they are learning and what they have just learned is within that quote unquote five years, the stuff that they know is not obsolete. Stuff that I learned a zillion years ago is clearly obsolete. So in keeping with the, you know, what I like to do is is just, we're just covering organ systems. We're covering problems that many of you may not even know are problems. But when you hear it, I'm hoping that you're going to say to yourself, oh my God, my dog had that, my cat had that. And what I want to try to do is give you a better understanding of some of the disease processes. And more importantly, you are going to be faced when you, when you are, you know, encountering these problems with your pets, you'll see your veterinarian and you are going to be faced with some decisions to make. Be they what tests, how do I approach the case? And, and, you know, let's face it, the cost of care has gotten very expensive. So my goal here is to try to help you, along with your veterinarian, develop a game plan. Because I don't like the approach where you see a problem and then you run every test in the book today because you have to rule everything out today. It's, it's, uh, that, you save that stuff for the emergencies. When you have an emergent problem and you don't, time is not on your side then yes, sometimes you have to take that approach. But most of the time, we're having issues that have been going on for a while. And there's a certain chronicity. And then you finally go to your doc and you talk about the history and how long has it been there? Well, you know, I noticed for the last several weeks. Well, darn it, if it's been going on for several weeks, another day or two or three is not going to make a difference. So what you do is you start based on the history, based on the physical. We have a starting point. And we are going to order up the tests that most likely fit this problem to help us make a diagnosis. And then if those tests all pen without giving us an answer, then we can move on to the next set of tests. But we don't want to test for that bizarre, esoteric condition, disease that one might see once in a 35-year practice career and test your dog for it today. So anyway, here we are. We've been talking about eyes over the last uh, several weeks. And we, speaking of emergencies, and often this is considered by some an emergency, certainly to you it is, but any qualified, experienced veterinarian is going to look at this and say, no, 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 ma'am, this is not an emergency. And we've been talking about cherry eye, the prolapsed gland of the third eyelid. And we talked about the breeds that we see it in the Cocker Spaniels, the Lhasa, the Shih Tzu, the English Bulldog, the Rottweiler. I mean, of course, it can happen in any dog, but we see an increased you know, predisposition in these breeds. And how it's something that pops up suddenly. I mean, literally, you go away at dinner and come back, and there it is. And how ugly it looks. It looks kind of weird. All of a sudden, you see this big, bright pink thing on the inside corner of the eye sticking out, one side, both sides. And it looks pretty weird. And certainly, something that would, might cause you to panic a little bit. And we've learned some interesting things about this particular gland. And that is that it is a very reactive gland. It's a lymphoid-type tissue. So it reacts to whatever. We don't always know what it's reacting to. 
but also that it serves a function, a function that we don't necessarily need, our pets don't need when they're young and healthy, but they do as they get older. And because of this newer knowledge, and I don't mean new yesterday, I mean new in the last 20 years, this gland functions to provide accessory tears when the dog's own tear glands are not functioning as well and need those tears. It changed how we treat this condition because the condition back when I started practice was pretty easy surgery, remove the gland. You just snip it off, cut it, a little suture, a little, little cautery, you're done, and the dog's going to do great. And it will. It's going to do great for a long time. If you have one of those dogs that had this condition, and as it reaches 8, 9, 10, and its own tear glands start to just dry out, they don't function as well, they're going to look to that prolapse gland and say, hey, we need you, buddy. And the prolapse gland isn't there anymore because it was taken away when that dog was a youngster. And now we have a condition called dry eye, which is much more challenging to treat than the excessive tearing or having that teary eye there, that, that prolapse gland. So what we need to do, and the reason I, I, and I mentioned before we signed off last week, is that one of my clients had a dog that had a, a teary eye. It was at night. She panicked, took it to an emergency, and the emergency facility made two huge mistakes in my book. Number one, when many GPs like myself send a case to an emergency clinic, we want them to perform, which is necessary to stabilize that pet to get them through the night. And their job is not to treat and solve the problem. Their job is to stabilize. Let's take care of the emergency, the emergent condition. And that's it. And then in the morning, if so, talk to your veterinarian and then you develop a game plan. The veterinarian might say, no, no, I'm, you know, I could see it. We need X, Y, Z. We don't do that here. We're a general practice. You're at a specialty clinic. So why don't you keep the pet there and do those tests? Or your veterinarian say, okay, thank you very much. I have the owners pick up and bring the pet back here because I'm going to take over from here. That's kind of what I like to do. And my clients like that too, because they don't know these other doctors. They don't trust these doctors. So sure enough, it was a young doc. What got into him or her? I have no idea. But not only did they treat it, which means they did a surgery, which they didn't really need to do because, as I mentioned, it's not an emergency condition, but they actually did the wrong surgery. They removed the gland. Interestingly, and I was right, it is so well known nowadays, especially in the U.S. veterinary schools, that we do not remove that gland of the third eyelid when it prolapses. We actually tuck it down. That my bet was when I heard that this doctor removed it, I said, I can pretty much guarantee either they were sleeping in the lecture, they worked with a much older practitioner and wasn't paying attention to the new ways of doing things, or, which is where I was right, they were a graduate of a foreign veterinary school. And sure enough, that was the case. So it's very interesting, but don't let anybody remove the prolapse gland of your dog's third eyelid if it prolapses, because that's not the way we treat them now. What we do is we tuck it in. It needs to stay there. It does serve as a function. The function of accessory tear production, it's lymphoid, it's reactive. It needs to be there. And then all our job is, is some sort of technique, and there are a number of them, to tuck it into the third eyelid itself. So it is no longer prolapsed. It's no longer visible. It's no longer causing a problem. It's no longer drying out because it's not being covered by tears every time the dog blinks. But we don't want to remove it. So you want to you know, kind of keep that in mind. Not an emergency. Don't remove it. Tuck it in. And there you have it. So moving on from cherry eye, 
which we uh, are going to do right after our break. I realized, oh my God, this time goes so fast. Meanwhile, I'll be still want to hear from you. So give us a call back. Very easy. 877-385-8882. Join in on the conversation here on PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab, and you will be joining in. Just start typing away. Or once again, email me, drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the short break. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I'm home. My hair looks cute. Now what? Bringing home a puppy or new dog is exciting, and he's depending on you to keep him in good health. Dogs need special care to keep them healthy as they grow throughout their entire life. Caring for their health is critical in all stages. With ProSense, it's simple and convenient to give your dog the care it needs with effective and quality products that treat, prevent, and provide essential daily vitamins and minerals. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. There's nothing more delicious and healthy than an old family recipe. And for over 50 years, our family's been creating them especially for your pets. Nutrisource Super Premium Pet Foods. Dog and cat food that's all natural, holistic, and organic. Nutrisource Pet Foods contain our patented Good for Life system for your pet's optimum health and well-being. So order now. Safe quality food made by our family for your furry family members. Go to NutrisourcePetFoods.com. From our family to yours, KLM Family Brands. It's DesignerPetSweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com.
and welcome back. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, host of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, our only live call-in radio show here on Pet Life Radio. Um, and I still want to hear from you. I haven't heard anything. There's no way, no way that people are listening right now or joining us online and have not had a problem with their pet's eyes. I refuse to believe it. So I know you have had, give us a call, give me a call. Let's talk about what the problem was, what was done, how are we doing? You know, again, we talked already about glaucoma. We're gonna be coming up next. We're gonna talk about cataracts. However, I wanted to just, you know, we have to solve a little issue here when it comes to plain old vision. How many times have you heard that dogs, A, don't see well, dogs are colorblind. What is the reality? And are they colorblind? How well do they see? Well, it's interesting that dogs, as far as the senses, you know, taste, smell, hearing, touch, and vision, probably one of their weakest is their sight. Unless they are one of those breeds that we call sight hounds, those are the Salukis, the Borzois, you know, the really lean kind of uh, dogs, even Afghans or sight hounds that actually have a pretty amazing sight. Most dogs rely more on their sense of smell, which is just hundreds of times better than ours. I often joke in brownies or cakes that are wrapped in that clear cellophane, you know, like fairy tale cakes or any of those. The joke is I would say to somebody, if you smell the completely brownie or whatever that is in the cellophane and you put it up to your nose and you try to smell, would you smell anything? The answer is no, there's nothing. A dog not only could smell through that clearly wrapped, sealed cellophane, it could probably tell you, if it could talk, of course, exactly what ingredients and how much of each was in the brownie. That is the difference when it comes to the scent. Now, when it comes to vision, however, we have receptors in our eyes and cones. And the cones are what really give us a lot of good detail. Okay? Now, rods don't give us the detail, but rods are really cool for detecting things like movement. So, for example, here's the classic that... Dogs need movement for hunting. They don't really need super great detail, which is why in low-light situations, your own dog might even bark at you walking down the hallway because he hasn't really had a chance to get pick up the scent yet, but he's looking at you, and you are just a body. You don't have that clear face, that detail that he knows, the color of your skin. It's not until he normalizes for that second that he picks up who you are. So dogs have more rods than cones. They can see color, but they don't see the details. So a red versus a, you know, a burgundy, a little bit of a purple, a mauve, to them, it's all pretty much the same. Now, could they tell the difference between red and blue? Yes, they can. So there's certain colors at the spectrums and the detail between the different shades that they don't decipher as well as we, but they could still see colors. So if you, for example, I'm sure you've seen a, a pinstripe suit before. So let's say we're talking a navy pinstripe suit, and let's say the stripes are like a gray, light gray, okay? A nice gentleman's suit. Well, if you look at that, all they would see pretty much is the navy, the one color, it looks solid. But if one of those stripes happened to move, they would sense that in a split second. So the difference is they have a great ability to detect motion, change in position, but they don't have a great ability to actually see the fine detail of those skinny stripes in against that navy blue color. So hopefully that'll give you a better understanding of where they come from and why they are so good at doing what they do, i.e. the hunting. They need to see that movement. So anyway, rods versus cones. Dogs have more rods than cones. We have more cones than rods. 
So our detail, fine detail, is better than theirs. Their ability to detect change in motion is way better than ours. So let's talk for a second about cataracts. What is a cataract? And a cataract is a basically, it's a thickening, it's a material that accumulates. It's whatever, the accumulation could be many things actually inside the lens of a dog. Now, where does a lens sit? If you looked at a RI, a dog's eye, you see what's called the iris. The iris is the colored portion of the eye. And it also, between the iris and the lens, separates the front portion of the eye from the back portion of the eye, which is also the separation of the aqueous and the vitreous, which are the different substances inside the eye itself, the eyeball itself. You have the anterior chamber, you have the posterior chamber, separated by the lens, which sits just behind the iris. So what happens in low-light situations? Well, in low-light situations, the iris retracts back, thus the opening, the pupil, enlarges to allow more light going through this lens and then hits the retina, which is the actual nerve receptors in the back of the eye, transmitting information through the optic nerve to the brain, and what is visualized is now processed. In highlight situations, in a dog, you could see this pupil become very small, constricting. In cats, it becomes slit-like. In goats, it becomes square, and it's blocking off the light because there's too much light coming in, making the opening smaller, etc. But the key here, if you realize, if you've noticed, is that information, that light, that vision, that field has to go through the lens. So what happens when the lens itself is either thickened, is no longer see-through, it has deposits in it, and now the light can't get through. So what's going on is, in essence, the visual field is affected, sometimes dramatically, completely, in which case it's not that the retina is not working. The nerves are working fine. The retina is working fine. The pupil is working fine, potentially, but what's not getting through is the light. So what is supposed to go through? So consequently, oftentimes dogs with cataracts, the body thinks the reason it's not seeing is because there's not enough information coming through, so the pupils will basically just widen, all right, because the thought is that we can't get enough light through. It's not that the light's not there. It's because of the cataract, the deposition of material within the lens itself. It's not allowing the light to go through. The brain is thinking that it's just a matter of light. So dogs with cataracts typically will have very large pupils. Now, Cataracts can be due to a lot of different things. There is a disease process, and if you recall, when we talked about diabetes mellitus, which is the sugar diabetes, we often see a very high correlation between a cataract and and diabetes. So oftentimes, this deposition of material within the lens causing a cataract is secondary to that which is going on in the blood with the high blood sugar in a diabetic. So therefore, we do see very, very high amount of cataracts. Cataracts, otherwise, it could be congenital cataracts. We see it in young dogs. It could be related to age. As a matter of fact, we need to talk about another age-related problem, which in essence is considered pre-cataractus, meaning if 
it kept going. If it kept progressing, it would ultimately turn into a cataract. And we call that lenticular or nuclear sclerosis. And I know that everybody out there listening who has an older pet knows what this is. You may not know the name for it, but you know it. And that is where the pupil itself, instead of being black, looks kind of bluish grayish. And when that happens, that's because the change, it's an age change associated with the lens capsule itself. And though it's not really officially a cataract, it's a pre-cataractous condition. And I always joke to a client, I say, oh my God, is my dog going to go blind? I said, no, no, it's going to turn in to a cataract if your dog lives to about 40. But unfortunately, that ain't happening. So if a dog, very, very common, older dogs, they can still see. If I do my ocular fundic exam looking at the back of the eye with a dog with the lenticular sclerosis, I can still see everything. Now, in low light situations, they might have a more difficult time because of the grayish nature. The light going through is going to be impeded somewhat, so it will seem a little more difficult for them to see in low light. But the truth is, it's not, they're not going blind. It's very common. And when we get to next week, because we are out of time, which is the story of my life, we will talk about some of the conditions, the treatments that we can do for cataracts and to maybe guide you. And if any of you listening have had animals with severe cataracts or even lenticular sclerosis, I'm giving you a one-week notice in advance. You're going to give me a call at 877-385-8882. Send me an email this week to Dr. Jeff, that's drjeff, at petliferadio.com or be prepared to join in on our conversation. Anyway, thanks for joining me this week. Have a great week. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, ProSense and Kong. And we will be here next Sunday morning or afternoon, 9 o'clock Western time out in the Pacific by me, and noon out east. We'll see you then. Have a good week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.